Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to Beyond Bitcoin. It's morning here in Australia, and it's evening over there in Austin, Texas. Hello, Nitin. How are you? Hey, Derek. I'm fine, and good morning to you. I uh, hope you had a great. I hope you are going to have a great day ahead. Good on you. Hey, Nitin. You're in Austin, Texas, and I've got to say, Austin, Texas seems to be becoming the New York hub of conferences now for the crypto space. That, but between that and Miami, there's just an enormous number of, of conferences coming up, aren't there? Absolutely. We had South by Southwest, which was a big conference. It started as music conference, and this year it was dominated with NFT and Metaverse. Uh, of course, in June, as you know, it's the, one of the world's biggest and and flagship blockchain event, which is consensus uh, that's happening in Austin, Texas, and in between South by Southwest and consensus, we had many of these small events, uh, both in Austin and Miami and New York. So there's obviously a lot of momentum and it's impossible to keep up with so many events. I guess just there's too much going on, Derek. And that's it. There seems to be an extraordinary hunger for information and an extraordinary desire to provide it. And so we're seeing, I mean, to see um, consensus move from New York to Austin, Texas is extraordinary. And, and to see this hunger that thousands of people are attending these shows you the momentum in the space. But what I thought you wanted to talk about today, you said that you really wanted to talk about information providers, et cetera. And, and yeah. this, is, this is very relevant because there's so much, so many information providers in this space. Um, you know, Masari, of course, we use regularly. We mentioned it on the show. Uh, Coin Trading View, uh, we use. And then the regular ones that he uses, you know, Coin Metrics and, and uh, Coin Gecko and, and, you know, Coin Desk, of course, for information. Yeah. There's dozens of, of service providers that are providing either technical data, blockchain data, conference attendance data, et cetera, in the space. <laughs> but I guess. Maybe we could take the audience for a bit of a journey about where we think the information availability is in this uh, space at the moment and how it's growing. And maybe a little bit about how we use this information best when we look at our funds. No, no, absolutely. And Derek, and, uh, before we go into our, our meat of the topic, uh, the reason why I think conferences moved from New York to Austin is because we have three essential things in Austin. Uh, we have great barbecue, we have great beer, and we have great music. And those are the three essential things, which is attracting so many people from around the world coming to Austin. We've but, been said uh, better. <laughs> yeah, moving <laughs> to our topic, um, I really wanted to focus on market data with respect to crypto, which mm. is essentially information. Information when, you know, codified becomes data and data when, when modeled and, you know, it becomes insight. Uh, and and why is it, you know, what is it and why is it important? Uh, only because this area, this topic has been very uh, sort of seminal lately in terms of both in terms of fund management, but also in terms of how VC evaluates uh, a project. How do people and how should people look at it? It's not just about investments. It's not just about 
looking into projects, but looking into the fundamental analysis that we have done. And in painting that picture, before we get into data, I think I'd like to discuss some basic concepts first. And I, I, I think, Derek, we should have two sessions. One is the basics. So in this session, I think we should discuss some fundamental elements. In part two, we should get into a bit more advanced topics, which I think uh, are essential for our audience to understand the, you know, the vitality and importance of this particular talk, you know, topic. Mm. So a few concepts. Let's discuss the few tenets of this industry, price, value, and what has become eventually uh, what Pharma and Finch talked about, which is efficient market hypothesis. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. And in between those two, there's a tug of war where what the efficient market hypothesis is, it's in financial economics, state that if an asset price reflects its all available information, there's a direct implication that, you know, that it is impossible to beat the market because everybody has the same information. And the calculus is to get the best price, essentially what we do with traditional securities and other asset classes. Everybody wants to get the best price. This is where asset pricing comes into play. So there are a bunch of models that are factoring all the data to give you what is the best and fair price of a particular asset. And to maximize the best value, we go into things like risk adjustments, forecasting, predictions, and we need all kinds of data in factoring in what could be the risk behind an asset, whether it's macro risks like we have seen with the wars and, and the lockdowns and pandemics. These are all risk vectors that are taken factor. So mm-hmm. you have price and you have risk. With all the data available to us, the financial economic industry and the mathematicians and data scientists have got, gone to work and modeled after model. And it's taken us almost about you know three or four decades. So in traditional markets, which is dealing with four fundamental asset classes, you have market data providers which have evolved over time who are providing a service to you, it, you know, which has, again, evolved over three to four decades who are not just providing market data. They have moved up the echelon in giving you analysis and insights, which, again, the trading and the financial community has used to figure out as to what is the fair pricing and in that in, entire arbitrage of difference between price and value, this is where things become interesting from a perspective of, of investments. So market data in broad terms, um, again, describes the financial information that's necessary for acquiring our research, analysis, things like trading, accounting of financial instruments of all asset classes in world markets. So that includes your financial, your FX, which is foreign exchange. Uh, the, the differences between the various economic value systems uh, looks into the pricing based on you know, how a company is performing, what are the sales figures, uh, you know, revenue per employee. And so you have all this data over time that begin to reflect what is, the, what is the real price of a particular asset class? So data is information that goes into price, value, risk calculus that we have seen. And, and essentially it consumes other macro factors such as inflation, money supply. And we have seen that lately that inflation eats into your overall. And that's why the, you know, there's a general sort of consensus and there's general thesis where money begins to move to other asset classes because of the value of money going down. So there's inflation, money supply, global events, and you know an impact of commodities essentially, uh, which makes the market efficient, uh, or aim to at least make it efficient. Because suddenly now you have all the information in terms of let's say a supply of lithium goes down. Next thing you know, it impacts the electronic industry. Same conversation we have with rare earth metals on, on electric vehicles and so on and so forth. And the regulatory modes uh, that exist to prevent some participants from taking advantage due to this information asymmetry 
exist only because we didn't want certain individuals who are close to the industry to have undue advantage. So things like insider trading, things like you know releasing information at a certain time, whether it's labor data, all that ties to information and data. And that's why it is so important because oftentimes all this goes into a calculus, which when you're buying insulin securities or even you're trading into asset classes, when you're buying a house, all these factors go into it. Uh, and it's important to understand this basic fund of fundamental premise before we go into the next chapter of this discussion. But I'll pause here, Derek, to see if 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 any of this made sense or this is too out there. No, look, I, I recall um, that great movie Wall Street, where Gordon Gecko said, "If you're not on the inside, you're on the outside." And in this space, I've got to say, every time I'm presented with a token or something uh, or an opportunity to invest, it's always, this is special information. Um, as people discuss tokens and the, the, the speculators and gamblers in the space, uh, the retail investors, they're always wanting to invest in something they think they've got inside information on. And frankly, the space is rife with it. And having this sat on uh, listed company uh, boards for many, many years, it's highly disciplined about what is, um, what is uh, uh, inside information, what is outside information, knowing that there is a big stick um, if you actually um, step out of line. In this space, that sort of regulation hasn't existed at the moment. And, and there's a lot of information available, some of which might be considered inside. How do you think that's going to be coped with along the way? No, that's that's exactly the challenge, right? I think if you look at the entire regulatory landscape um, and SEC and other equal agencies around the world, the FATF, the BIS, the Basel committees, the IMF, uh, all the global bodies are talking about this uh, under, of course, the pretense of investor protection and ensuring that you have enough sort of information available. And that's one reason why SEC has not yet approved a spot ETF because, you know, uh, fearing the market manipulation, fearing mm, the fact mm. that it could impact a common person, even though the industry has been there for, Bitcoin is there for 13 years, there's enough data available as we will discuss going forward. But one thing to remember in this space, which the traditional markets are not familiar with is crypto never sleeps. And mm. the challenges of data aggregation, pricing and risk uh, which again, we use the term OHLCV, which is open, high, close, low volume. These are the metrics that's used in basic calculation. And believe it or not, Derek, um, you know, it's a huge challenge in crypto assets and the market that deal with asset classes, right? Unlike traditional markets, again, there's no open, close uh, that can define highs and lows. So we can look into Bollinger Bands and look into the averages and means and determine as to what what are the outliers and remove the outliers and come to a decent number. So we need to rely upon moving averages, which has become a standardized vehicle yes. to analyze these things. We look into temporal windows, which is time, you know, time slots and, and look in the averages of the time slots and then further create another you know, above average, a mean, mean of that particular uh, element. So we've gone to new sort of models only because this, the velocity and veracity of data has led to purely analytical and compute challenges in data collection, data aggregation, modeling and insights, which lets me and you make intelligent decisions. And I think that we live in this world, um, which means that we're interacting with other things like global macro events. Uh, and the overall global macro events do impact crypto as we have seen in a previous mm -hmm. discussion with stablecoin and on-ramp, off-ramp. So we have to have a bridged perspective on combining macro such as inflation, money supply, commodity, energy, as it relates to mining and liquidity 
and overall adoption curves that drives this industry in understanding the patterns as they emerge. So you can see that suddenly now the task of the computational element of data has become exponentially high, that it is data always coming in. Mm. It's truly a global system. And in portal asset management, again, as we're researching the space and trying to understand and make sense of this, the approach we have taken is really four steps. I'd like to highlight that for audiences because I think this has resonated really well as I have spoken at conferences at, at, at industry events is understand the industry and classify the industry. And I think we'll spend some more time later on in terms of what was done back in the day in pre in 90s, late 90s, the global industry classification standard, which was developed by Morgan Stanley or MSCI. Uh, and this GICS, which again is global industry classification standard, sort of provided you some elements of co-movement within sectors. So they created sectors in terms of transportation, media, entertainment, technology, electronics. Yes. They had all these different industries yeah. and it yeah. helped them understand as to how this information impacts one industry and how it has ripple effect on the other industries. So we have done that. The first step is understanding and classifying industries. As you know, all token looks yeah. alike. There's a lot mm -hmm. of memes around the tokens and our approach is of layering helps in, in understanding what's a Web3 token, what's a layer one token, layer two token. Mm. So now, as we, as you know, in the last research call that we had, Derek, uh, we have about 17 different sectors that we have classified. And there's a miscellaneous sector because there are sectors evolving so fast, it's hard to keep up that we're revisiting this industry every four months in that space. So that's the first step. That also gives you an understanding of your universe, right? Mm. Second thing is we define a criteria based on a thesis. And these criteria can be thought of as factors meaning that um, nascent projects, while they may have massive potential, they also have a massive failure risk because they are new, they are nascent. Uh, the founders may not have the right idea or, the, or they may not be a proven model. So we look into those, we look into the projects that actually have enough life in them, four years, they have certain market cap. So we take all those factors and codify them to say, if we have, and there are close to 15,800 plus tradable tokens, uh, and it's impossible task to figure all of them out and make a blanket uh, sort of uh, investment. So we then, you know, bring this down to a thesis to say, we only going to invest in certain areas with this criteria. Mm. And then we shortlist that asset and tokens, which is a third step and perform a fundamental and technical analysis. Uh, this is where things get interesting because what is fundamental and what is technical in this case, um, you know, and, and we are, we look at moving averages, we look at transaction volumes, we'll ensure that there's no wash trading happening in these networks. So there are now, again, Masari provides more qualitative research. We look into, you know, a bunch of, there's an EY project, there is a project that looks at the coin metrics, for example, in looking into some of the technical analysis of how the, what is the price movement in terms of volatility, trend, momentum, and those are all technical analysis, but fundamental analysis, we go back to the utility of the token and everything else. And that gives us a good idea in picking projects that have, uh, you know, that either are, is following our conviction or we are, we have the conviction to take the risk or the necessary risk, which has, you know, higher, you know, reward potential. And the last step, I think, is presenting this distilled list with conviction for investment consideration. Of course, there's a process to this whole thing. Otherwise, it's it's akin to the old adage, if you remember, Derek, monkey throwing a dart and a professional picking <laughs> the stocks. And they weren't really much different in terms of their performance. And we do want to understand this industry in a, in a much more, uh, you know, uh, a defined manner. So there's a method to the madness and a balanced approach. And in my opinion, once you have this approach, then the question then becomes that, how do we collect the fundamental data? Because 
there is so much data out there. How do we do technical analysis? And uh, I'll pause here. Love to get your thoughts uh, before we explain as to what we have approached. And I think in, in, in one of the later sections, we should probably bring that and discuss those, that approach because it's a little heavy uh, and it, it deserves its own time, I, I think. So there's two challenges with the data and that is the amount of noise associated with the data. So cleaning the data is a very important thing. And that's why I'm hoping in the next show that we've got coming on, we'll have our data scientist Petros join us and discuss that process. Um, so it's not just getting the data, it's actually getting the data in a form that's relevant. And then of course, you've got to be asking the right questions. And those questions can vary depending on the segment that they're in, whether they're in layer one or layer two or web 3.0 or DeFi or, or, um, or metaverse, et cetera. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's part of this kind of, this part of this qualitative view of the whole thing. So there seems to be a degree of both hard science and statistics and general knowledge of the space to be able to make this work. Would that be right? No, no, absolutely. And I, I actually, uh, even talking to Petros, who's incredibly brilliant and he is, you know, and just to give an example, Derek, um, that what took me a few months, I've spent four months in doing all this work manually mm. Mm. and looked into a few things. And, you know, Petros was quickly able to create a model, ingest all this information and spin things, spit things out within a matter of a week. So you can imagine the human effort taken to eyeball these things and create a methodology. And But one thing did help is that our experience helped him quantify these criteria or what we call as, as factors. Um, so we, you know, we will certainly invite, I think, Petro as our data scientist to reflect on this approach, to make sense of this 15,000 plus different assets and distill them down into a handful based on our multi-factor models. And we should talk about those models and how we came up as, as an exemplar. And, you know, codification and employing machine learning, which is a field under artificial intelligence, I think can speed things up. And while we're not exactly going after quant trading mm, type mm, models for crypto, mm. I think for including the VCN and DeFi and some of the other, you know, fund structures, such analysis can only help in refining the thought process and, and enhance learning, which I think is more important than simply trading based on highs and lows and, and, and finding the patterns uh, you know, which which could be helpful in short term, but if you're going after long-term investing, I think you should look into this from an industry perspective and having a deeper understanding of the space. I think, and that's See, why I think fundamental analysis projects, uh, the founders behind the project, these are all qualitative work that we need to do in looking at token economic systems of each project to see is it truly a security, and if it's security, then should we choose that because that could present a regulatory risk to the investors on the long run. Uh, only because, you know, and, and so some of these things I think has to be a gut, uh, which I think investment and some of these things are about gut feel, but the gut feel should be substantiated by some logic, some information yes. That, yes. that lets you make you better and informed decisions, uh, which I think should be, a, should be the right approach to investing, should be the right approach to taking risks, I think. And that's why you have a thesis. If you've got a solid thesis in place that you know your fundamental guidelines that you're operating within, then, um, then you can build that and your gut feeling then becomes actually within the parameters of that thesis and a lot more controlled. And, and another thing that's interesting is just the use of data science. I mean, you know, in, in the Radiance Fund, you know, we have a commitment to sectors and best of tokens in, in these sectors, um, but data science still plays a role in that. 
obviously determining things like the wash through to see to whether, the, whether the trading results and momentum, et cetera, is correct. But the other thing is that even if there's a commitment into a particular token, um, if you see that the market's going to turn down, you may well just wait for that or put in some lower buy orders and, and reposition yourself in that same commitment. And data science is providing that. So we're not trading, so to speak. We're committed to certain areas. Um, but the data sciences provides us information around sentiment and momentum, which can assist us in improving our positions each time. Um, it's a huge amount of data. And as you say, it's 24-7. And, you know, it's a challenging area. So, you know, what does the average person do with this data <laughs> or not for that matter? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, before I answer that, I'd like to, you know, uh, second what you mentioned, right, that there's a discipline. And I think discipline plays a really, really important role. And I see, you can see many of these funds who have run in the past in this existing sort of down market, you've seen some of the funds and, you know, ARKK, for example, lost 60%, but the conviction yes. is there. There's a belief yes, system yes. that leads to, yes. and, and I think that while we come across as we are analyzing this many tokens that have a very short term upside and a lot of potential, a lot of buzz. Our discipline says that that's not part of a factor. That's not part of the model because if the fund, if that particular token has existed for just three months, then that has not met our maturity requirement, and so we mm. will not expose ourselves or our, our investors to that base. So I think, uh, you know, some of this that discipline is really, really vital, which which I second that. And to answer your question, what do people do with it? Well, there's an extraordinary amount of growth uh, has created, you know, commensurate amount of complexity. So as you know, there are tokens coming in on, a, on, a, on, a, on an hourly basis, new tokens, new asset classes. There are NFTs. There are projects where are creating NFTs. And you have, so you have tokens popping up on a daily basis. There are at least four to five tokens that, are, that I hear about, and I, I simply yes. can't keep up, even though I've been in this industry for a long time. So the question then becomes is, how do you understand the digital asset space? And so my advice to many of the newer guys that don't bother uh, gambling away and saying, let me go buy this token or that token to take time to understand the digital asset space. And efforts have been made. I mean, if you look at CoinDesk indices, they talked about similar to what we discussed earlier, which is global industry classification standards. They have devised one thing called, something called DAX, which is digital asset classification standard, um, which looks into, which provides market with reliable structure and transparency to help classify and simplify industries inside the asset classes, exactly what we did. And we did this like even before DAX was there, we, we continue to refine it, which is a continual effort because of the, again, you have data tokens and you have Web3 tokens. Web3 have newer models for powering infrastructures. They have their own token and you have data in AI, they have their own token. So it's impossible to leave the industry, the post-industrial world of automation, you know, automotives and technology and, and stick to those models because this industry is, is moving rapidly. But Classification helps us define the market is not new. We've done this for ages. So we understand that space. We understand the correlative elements. So I think that helps uh, starting with our first principles to know what we know and know what we don't know. We start with what we know and then build upon some of those elements. And I think that, you know, research in general, and we of course have now 30, 40 years worth of data around this, that the GICS uh, framework that explains the stock return uh, coin, you know, co-movement of the sectors, helping investors determine some of the important drivers for company valuations, you know, mergers and acquisitions, uh, identify relative value opportunities by comparing companies with the same sectors, 
which is again looking into saying, hey, you, are you in this tech sector? You're underperforming, you're overperforming because your cohorts are doing this and they're working for them and you're not. Uh, so it helps do a lot of things. And that's what we have done too in Web3.0 is try to understand that why are similar projects not having the same valuation criteria at this early stages? And I think one, one factor that is that the, the, um, the fundamental analysis goes back to say, maybe they have a bad token economic model and that we learn from that token economic models and make the right decision. So developing a sector level ma macro insights to make decision of an asset allocation to me is the first step we can do. And, and it sounds very uh, you know, jargon laden, but it's, it's simple term to say, how do you see the industry? How do you understand these different sectors? Mm -hmm. And, and, and how do you group them, if that makes sense, Derek? And, and you know, Nitin, of course, in the traditional industry that we've been certainly operating in, I have for a long time, um, you will wander into large stockbroking companies and there'll be specialists in pharmaceutical, specialists in mining, specialists okay. in gold mining. So within subsections of it, specialists in certain tech sections, as you know, they're specialists in just processes and things like that. So, so these guys have an immensely deep knowledge of the space within the guidelines they operate in. Um, and they deploy large amounts of assets because the traditional industry has large amounts of assets by comparison to the two trillion that are deployed in this industry. But you see where I'm getting to. These yeah. sectors, these sector knowledge bases are going to grow in this industry too. You're going to see specialists that are going to be nothing but living and breathing the world of, of you know, Web 3.0. Others that will be dedicated to, um, to Polkadot's sovereign state environment that's operating and all that operates within it. These specialists will have real value because they'll have knowledge bases that the generalists won't have. And I see them um, becoming more and more important as we progress. In the meantime, of course, um, you know, by us sectorizing this space by, there's a word we just invented, um, sectorizing this space um, and analyzing each sector. It gives us confidence within the guidelines that we're operating in that we're determining the, here's one that some people might not believe in the traditional world, the fundamentals of how this sector is working and how each one of those tokens are working. And that provides us with what Kathy Woods has got, which is conviction to each sector. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, it's extremely important for us. Meanwhile, of course, we have to know that we're doing this and having conviction with this section where macroeconomic conditions are impacting the space on and off as that occurs. And the way I always look at that is that, yes, the macroeconomic conditions, the tragedy that's happening in, in the Ukraine at the moment, the challenges that we saw not long ago with China removing um, the Bitcoin miners out of that, all of these had impacts on the space. Yeah. But the space continues to grow at an exponential rate. So I think we're going to see the space um, get hit by um, macroeconomic themes and then realise it's growing rapidly and move away from that. Our focus is always going to be on the performance of the space and continuing to build in a wider vision. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the entire combination of mining, I think we can dedicate five more sessions to those because the more time and spending on it, both in terms of regulatory uh, and the folks who are involved in mining. And if you look at their research report, they look into chip design, they look into water-cooled data centers, looking into energy yes. equation in terms of... So to me, it's a whole different science. And, and, yes. and to me, regardless of the old element of ESG around mining, 
the amount of innovation that's happening in that is generally good for every single industry because yes. they're trying to optimize computing at a much lower cost points because of the energy cost. And, and I think in general, I think this is going to do good. Uh, so, so absolutely, I, I think a lot more to learn, a lot more to understand. And I think we all should, I'm definitely going to be at it, Derek, with you, and you're going to be with me in this journey for, for quite some time. And for our listeners, I would just uh, say that stay hungry and stay open-minded and, and, and learn as much as you can, because that's the best way to get your arms around it. Uh, and still, we are still in, its, in this, the industry, in my opinion, is still in its infancy, I think. Yeah. Agreed, and beautifully said. Don't be overwhelmed. Sometimes people feel as though they're drinking from a fire hose. Maybe just take a cup at a time. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as you do, you get closer to that moment when you go, aha, I get it. And, yeah. and that's terribly important. So for those listeners that are just learning about the space deadly, um, it's an extraordinarily exciting, invigorating, and refreshing environment to, to be in. Um, and, and take it one step at a time. And, and hopefully we might be there for part of those steps along the way. Um, so <laughs> thanks, Nitin, again, for a great, um, for a great session. We, we can go for another hour always. We can easily do I this. I think so, yeah. Um, but, but for now, we'll finish, but, we, but with the intention that we'll get Petros in very soon so that we can start really talking about some of the data science that is behind the calculations and analysis that we're doing. Yeah, it can get technical. We try to simplify it when we when we bring you know Petros on this conversation because we did a lot of modeling. But I would suggest this, Derek. You should come down to Austin. We should have this podcast in person. I'll get some barbecue. I'll get some good <laughs> microbreweries. And after the show, we should go and get some live music. And and that would be the Austin way of doing things. I Fantastic. Think. And maybe we can broadcast <laughs> from the live music. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's a date. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> See you next week. All right, Derek. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitin or myself on Nitin at portal.am or Derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.